Hello and welcome to the States of Matter, a podcast from the Institute of Refrigeration's Women in RACHP Network. I'm Karen Perry and here to co-host is our chair, Lisa Jane Cook. This episode, we continue our theme discussing subjects of interest for our industry's women and welcome some more award-winning guests, this time discussing academia and what it's like being a woman working at the forefront of innovation, research and projects that move the environmental agenda forward. A warm welcome to Katerina Marquez and Nasheen Basha. Hello, ladies. Hi. Hello. Kat and Nasheen, um, I am humbled. Both of you have been shortlisted in Top Women in Engineering. You both hold PhDs and you've also won awards for your research by doing so much for the industry and women in engineering while continuously working within academia. I honestly don't really know where to start, but please, Kat, if we start with you, tell us about your journey so far. Okay, thank you. So I am a senior research fellow at London South Bank University, and I'm part of the heating and cooling group. So we carry research on heating and cooling of buildings and refrigeration in the cold chain. So essentially, we work on the solutions to decarbonize heating and cooling, which are key areas to abate if we are going to reach net zero by 2050. But how did I get here? Um, That's a slightly more convoluted story. So I study food engineering in Portugal. And because I love traveling, I was always looking for opportunities to work elsewhere. So I worked in Germany on a beer fermentation project. And this was through the EU Erasmus program. And I did a placement at a dairy factory in Brazil. And this was all before completing my degree. So once I got my degree, I applied for the Leonardo da Vinci program. And this program allows recent graduates to do a placement in the European Union. Uh, So that's how I came to the UK. That was over 17 years ago. And this placement was at Bristol University. It was in the Food Refrigeration Research Center. And really, this was my introduction to refrigeration. So I kind of fell into it, really. So after the placement, I got a job as a refrigeration test engineer with Adanda Refrigeration in in Lowestoft. And Adanda, it manufactures uh, food service storage cabinets, and it uses like a a patent drawer and airflow system. So they were always developing new products, and, and that was what I was highly involved in because I was testing the, the, the units. And I, I still remember coming into the lab every morning, very excited to look at the data and, and see if the test I had set up the day before, if it had worked. So it was quite exciting in the early days. And after that, I did uh, an industrial case award PhD this was with London South Bank University and with Adande. So this is a PhD where you, rather than being based at the university, you actually work at a company. So I would come to the university maybe once every two, three months. And the PhD was about developing a domestic refrigerator with thermal storage. And it was really exciting, really, the, the opportunity to work I really enjoyed being in industry and and in academia at the same time. So I liked it so much that after the the PhD, I did 
a knowledge transfer partnership. So this is where you have an associate, myself in this case, that transfers the knowledge from the university into a company. And this was a really interesting project. It was looking at reducing noise of the refrigerator. So going from food into refrigeration into acoustics, it was really good. So again, when that finished, I, I decided, oh, I'll do another one. <laughs> and I was uh, developed this uh, refrigerator that was capable of cooling, but also tempering food products. So this was like my experience working simultaneously in industry and academia. But then Adande promoted me to engineering manager. So I was leading a team of five engineers, developing new products and, and carrying out certification for international markets for China, for the US. And I did that for about three years. And then I felt like, oh, this is the only time I was solely working in the industry and I started missing that link to academia. So I came back to LSPU to work in research. And it was a bit of a major change because until then I had been working in refrigeration mainly. And we had this new project at LSPU, Green Skies, which was like integrating heating, cooling, but also renewable power, electric vehicles. And I knew you know, I knew very little about it. So it was really interesting at the beginning. And fast forward another four years, and I'm now leading my own project at the university. And it's, you know, it's an amazing team, our heating and cooling group. We have 18 researchers uh, working on a wide range of projects. We have 10 nationalities in the team now. So it's quite multicultural. And we're going to grow the team soon because we are advertising for two new PhDs, one working in modeling refrigeration pathways to net zero, another one on heat recovery from transformers, working with the distribution network operator. So, you know, it's, it's an exciting space to, to work on. And uh, I probably spoke for too long. <laughs> so I'm going to give the floor to Nosin to talk about our experience. Yeah, while uh, Katerina was talking about her journey, I was trying to think that there are similarities between hers and my journey. <laughs> yeah, but anyways, I'll start from what I do and I'll say what the similarities are. So currently I work at Imperial College. I manage a very exciting, fabulous uh, program that combines fluid dynamics with uh, machine learning for developing various systems, products, etc., but my area that I'm really interested in is in uh, design of systems so that we can make the product more efficient by using state-of-the-art computational tools. So why I say there are similarities, because even I went through a certain program called as Knowledge Transfer Partnership, where I had um, certain access to university as well as company. So I'm talking about this, I think, a few years ago when I started as a freshly minted out graduate from a master's program just out of Manchester University. So uh, at that time, so I had this exposure to industry as well as university. And then that struck me as whatever the work that's being done at university, it's very useful if we translate that to an industrial product. So it could be communicated to a whole lot of people and there is this uh, impact so that's something which I'm interested in. So the research goes 
out from the from the university box into something that's commercially available, something that people can use, and something that has a practical side and nature to it. So, and I'll also go a few years back where it all started. So this all started during when I got internet growing up as, as a young high school uh, student. And I started Googling up uh, my skill sets, like what do I like? And then the career thing pops up, what you could be. So then I feel in I'm interested in maths, physics, I'm interested in this, this, this. And then it always popped up that I could uh, become a scientist and engineer. That's what would pop up. So that would tell me that this is what maybe I'm supposed to do. But obviously at that time, there weren't any, uh, there weren't a lot of representation from South Asian women into doing engineering. So the one thing which would pop up is uh, Kalpana Chawla on Google search results. So if you type in South Asian women doing incredible things, doing engineering, it would pop up as this astronaut Kalpana Chawla, who is of Indian origin. She did aerospace engineering. She was the first Indian woman origin to go to space. And obviously there was a tragedy that followed, which I mean, uh, that, that's why she was on lots of Google pages. But anyways, that inspired me that if she could do it, even I could study engineering and do something with my life. There were lots of uh, boys in my uh, bachelor's course who were very ambitious. They weren't the best performing lot, but they even they thought that they could do a PhD and <laughs> they could become really successful. So I was like, if these boys can think about this, then why not me? I should be thinking about these things. I should be thinking about how to become successful. So, and then I was like, I have to go, I have to go to UK, do my uh, master's in the area that I'm interested in, which at that time was uh, master's in aerospace engineering. So I did that. I did that really well. And yeah, after that, I was looking for a job and I hopped on to the first job that I got. I was excited. I was like, I have to go and work in the industry, the first job I get. So with all my enthusiasm, I started working on the KTP project related to filtration systems, as well as I spent one day at university, which inspired me further uh, to understand what research is, how to do research. And then I went on and started my PhD in the area of compressors. That's where I was exposed to a whole lot of uh, refrigeration uh, systems, how compressors are being used in refrigeration. And it opened up the whole world of why heating and cooling is so important. And also, so, so as to speak now, which is like the elephant in the room in terms of emissions and net zero targets, etc. So, yeah, so I think, um, yeah, <laughs> so th- th- that's about my, my journey, where, how I ended up from, from my bedroom with internet access to where I'm now. I think, Nishin, someone somewhere will look one day to look at female South Asian engineers and we'll find you. So I love that, that you, without discovering that and discovering another female kind of in that industry, do you think you'd have gone this route? I think I would be doubtful. So I think what I had in my head is uh, not engineering. I think I would have chosen maybe uh, a bachelor's in physics or bachelor's in maths, because uh, obviously there were, uh, I went to all girls school, there were physics and maths teachers were a huge inspiration for me and as well as role models. So I would have thought about becoming, becoming, I think like them, if I wouldn't have seen that women could, I mean, women could go on a space flight. It's incredible, the drive and passion that you both have obviously got. I mean, both of you moving away from home 
to further your education and to move on in your career. That's something that I've never done. It's, yeah, just like I said, between you, you've just got so much drive and passion. But I'm really interested, Nasheen, how you came to Compressors for your PhD. That's a, that's a good question, because uh, like I was saying, uh, I was really inspired with, with the space flight, all of those things. But I was more working in the area called as computational fluid dynamics. And during my master's, I was learning how it's been used for turbines, for gas turbine engines. And then uh, I've realized that if it could be applied for gas turbine engines and also it could be applied for compressors, which are used in refrigeration. So that's where I was offered a PhD at City University of London to apply those computational models to compressors so they could be more efficient in terms of achieving, uh, in terms of improving cooling between oil and gas. It's really, really cool. <laughs> Pun intended. <laughs> it's, and I suppose that like um, Karen said, you know, we're really humbled to have you here as well, because there really aren't that many women in our industry, let alone that, you know, at the forefront, leading research and paving the way for the future of our industry without you guys. I think, you know, we wouldn't have a lot to look forward to. And you're both doing really, really important research and really shaping the future for us. But something else I found really interesting from both of you as well, it is almost like you fell into it. People never really choose refrigeration. And that's why I think it's really important that we've got role models like you as well, because we are a hidden industry. And when you're achieving as you are, you really are helping us to lift refrigeration and put it into people's sites. For us, it's fantastic that you've chosen a career in refrigeration. Yeah, it's fascinating, um, actually. Because during my uh, PhD, uh, actually I was doing my PhD along with a full-time job. Uh, At that time, I attended this uh, women in refrigeration breakfast session. That's when it struck me that this is an amazing industry with lots of support, with lots of people. And then I met this lady called Christina Francis, who was the previous um, Ted Perry Award winner. And I would say uh, over my... uh, all my career, there have been different points where different people have been hugely inspirational. So I met her and she's amazing. So I was like, if she could do it, and maybe even I could get a Ted Perry Award. So that's why I was like, I have to work harder in this industry in order to achieve something. And then I got the Ted Perry Award. So yeah. And that's an amazing experience to win the, the Ted Perry Award, I must say. And actually, I didn't get it the first time. <laughs> so I, I've applied one year, I didn't get it. And then the second year, I was like, oh, I'm not going to bother. <laughs> but then people were like, oh, no, you should submit again. And I won. So <laughs> I think I had a lot of experience with that in my life of being second best once or twice and it kind of changed the course of my life you know you just have to try again (laughs) that's so true having that confidence in yourself isn't it to yeah why shouldn't it be you and and that opportunity is there yes absolutely I do think um it's a quality that a lot of women in our industry do display is that resilience because it you know it's, it's not a secret this is a very male dominated industry but there are so many women now in the industry that are just holding their own and showing what can be achieved when we actually come together embrace the differences that we have and you know just really work for the greater good and 
it very much demonstrates the community that we have as well as an industry like Kat you'll know working as close as you do with the IOR and all the things that you do for us that we do have a fantastic community we come together we forget that we're competitors and we all just put our heads together for like I say for the greater good and it's something that I don't think is reflected in some other areas of engineering. No I think you could say we are leading the way perhaps yeah, it's difficult to know. What happens is you have so many different organizations kind of doing identical things and is maybe be good to bring them together. You have SIPSU, you have the IOR, you have IMAKI, you have so many different organizations that are trying to, to pull people together to have women's groups. But maybe there is an opportunity for cross-fertilization, let's say, and, and exchange of ideas. But around the world, that's happening more and more. I mean, I was at the ASHRAE conference last month and they, they have a big women's group and, and they did a, a breakfast that it was so full. The room was so full. It was like the, the gala dinner. And it was a great event. And, you know, just women uh, sharing their experience of working in these fields. It was, um, they had someone from Asia, someone from South America, from Europe, you know, it was really good, just capturing the different perspectives. I feel IOR is doing sort of an incredible job because I was looking through IOR website last night and I could see lots of posts about how women could be engineers within the industry. And the, and the encouragement I think has started from all levels, from the primary to someone, the likes of me as well. And what differentiates IOR compared to other industries in, in terms of these activities is I feel the area of men as allies, which is so important. And IOR has people like Graham Fox, Stephen Jill, who are going out there and are huge, incredible support for women, promoting women and showing what in, uh, engineering looks like, how diverse it is. And I remember even during my PhD, I, I met Stephen Jill during uh, Women in Breakfast morning. And, and he was like so passionate about why we need more women in engineering. So men as allies is something I have not seen very much in other organizations or other institutions. So I think that's a, that's a huge asset for IOR. And I had a chance to even attend the IOR dinner, I think last year when they gave me Ted Perry Award, obviously I was, I was invited for that. And then I, I can see everyone talking about, there's a huge talk, why we need diverse engineers, why need, we need more women, how impactful that would be. And I, I think there's a lot of uh, enthusiasm from men, which is as important as women voicing their opinion on why diversity is needed. Yeah, I remember meeting you at that dinner and Linda from Janie Hall was there as well, wasn't she? Another WES yeah. top 50 winner. And, and again, that's something that, you know, we can boast really proudly now that we've had, I think there's six, if you look across refrigeration and heating, um, you know, women from our industry that have now been named in that top 50. Mm -hmm. And I do feel, as you say, that the men out there who are advocating for us and who are pushing mm -hmm. us, because I've had exactly the same experience, I've been encouraged. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they, they should be proud of that achievement because we wouldn't have tried if it wasn't for them saying, mm -hmm. you can do that. You, there's mm -hmm. no reason why you can't achieve this. Yeah, so that's that's what how I feel as well. Like like I said, it's that community. It's the fact that everybody supports each other and we, we don't mm -hmm. look at each other as competitors and, and mm -hmm. you know, it, it's got a really nice vibe in this industry. And I think we should really sell that, if I'm honest, because we definitely need more people. But then, you know, engineering as a whole needs more people. 
Um, so we're all fighting over the good people, aren't we? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yes. If, if I've been through other uh, talks, I mean, about diversity, women engineers, etc. Mostly what you see is women in the audience. But I think for IOR, there are also men who are equally participating, who are willing to solve this problem. And I think that's a huge asset for IOR. It is. And it's, it is definitely now ingrained. We're having discussions quite frequently about how we can support to actually increase the diversity within the industry because we recognize that it does drive innovation and actually Kat you said about your your team you had was it 10 different nations represented yes from four continents so (laughs) you can say it's well represented when we are tackling big challenges like climate change we need to work on the solutions and and people from different backgrounds bring different perspectives so it is quite a rich environment i think companies perform better when they when they are more multicultural mm-hmm. the research shows that so it's more creative doesn't it i think when with those different ideas added from male female different cultures it's quite an interesting point because obviously diversity, inclusion, equity are a really hot topic at the moment. And a lot of people are pledging to do things, companies, organisations. But I wonder how many actually know the benefits, the real benefits that a diverse team bring. And I think what you're achieving, Kat, with your team being as diverse as it is, is something I'd probably want to learn a little bit more about to really understand the benefits so that we can start conveying that out there. How do you feel, Nasheen? Have you had the opportunity to work with a really diverse team as well? Yes, definitely. So the current team I work with is around 30 to 40 people. Diverse team from the range of backgrounds in terms of nationality, in terms of gender. I mean, I was trying to compare the social media pictures from the team that is now and the team that was there 10 years ago. So you can definitely see how the diversity has progressed. I realized in my team, whenever they advertise for a job as well, they put that job out through uh, how uh, how women would also perceive it. For example, if men are applying for a job, they would be like 50%, okay, I admit 50% set of skills, I can apply for this job. For women, it, it would be like, you know, uh, I just need the eight out of 10. I don't need two of them. How can I apply for this job? So advertising the job from a woman's perspective or the or the gender lens, um, I think that's that's being done now, which is a good news. It is really good. And it sounds like academia are way ahead of everybody else. You know, you are already working in these diverse teams and utilising those benefits. Yes, I think that maybe academia tends to be slightly more multicultural than companies. But again, that changes all the time. But I remember one time I was working at Dundee, I was the only woman there. And I was the only foreigner as well. But it, that happened for over, I think it was almost a year. So it felt odd that I didn't speak to women on a regular basis. But, you know, it was, I think, an exception, let's say, not not the rule. But it's, it's that risk, isn't it, that it feels so odd to you that you don't want to stay there because it is odd. And I think that's what is important, that if you do work and just people like you or or anything like that, you're more likely to stay at a company or within an industry. And I think that's right, Nasheen, when we talk about recruitment as well, it is known that people often recruit what they see 
in themselves when they're interviewing people. So it, it's someone that I'd get on with or someone I'd like mm -hmm. rather than actually looking about how they fit within that team. And it, it's changing some of that behavior and some of that thought processes as well. Yeah, absolutely. It's also when you think you're progressing your career, you, you look around to the people that are already at that level. And if there is no one that's similar to you, it makes more difficult for to visualize yourself in that role because there's no examples, <laughs> there's no role models. So it's really important. Yeah, I was gonna say that is that is a very valid point. Um, and we do talk about role models a lot. So I wondered if each of you had someone that you maybe you have worked with or a family member that's actually been someone that you've looked up to and thought, I, you know, I'm going to do this because they're doing it. Um, so Kat, could you start for us? Yes, that, that is actually a difficult one because <laughs> I, I'm, there is a couple of people that inspire me on the way, but it's difficult to pinpoint someone that had that lasting impression of affecting my decisions and we, we did um, a worldwide survey on women in cooling. And one of the questions we ask is, did you have a role model? How did that affect your career decisions? And, and actually 50% of the respondents didn't have any. So I think that is quite common. But, you know, my, my PhD supervisors, they, they were really inspirational. Professor Graham Aitman, Professor Judith Evans, they are really passionate about what they do. And um, they, they have that ability to inspire others. And, and Judith in particular, I think she has become a role model to many women in academia that work in refrigeration because again, there's still so few. And in terms of meeting someone that shows you like, has a different way of thinking, Ian Wood, which was the MD at Adanda, he's very inspirational because he's an inventor. So he was always challenging people to think outside the box. So these were people that impressed me on the way and that they were quite critical to see either to, you know, think differently or they were inspirational. But in terms of affecting my decisions, it, I can pinpoint someone, which is quite disappointing, actually, <laughs> if you think about it. How about you, Nashin? You mentioned that lady that went to space, so... Yeah, yeah. I actually had few role models from uh, time to time. They keep changing. So obviously, uh, to, in order to get into engineering, she was, was a, quite a big role model. I wanted to be someone like her. And then during engineering, lots of uh, professors. And in my current job, obviously, my manager is, uh, the, he is my manager, Omar Matar. He is quite, a, quite an amazing role model. He's supportive. He's open to ideas. He is, is someone best manager uh, I, I could have. And I, he's very passionate about what he does. So that's something I feel like I want to be someone uh, uh, like him, uh, really. And then, uh, yeah, I, I feel like Stephen Jill is a role model in a way how he promotes more women into engineering. At some point, I would want to be someone like that in my life so I could have a wider impact on what I am doing. Because I believe in pushing not just engineering boundaries, but also cultural boundaries. I was going to say, you, you both are and will continue to be role models to other women that are coming into our industry. You know, you're both award winning engineers, especially with Ted Perry. That's, you know, no one can change that. Your names will be forever in refrigeration history. So it's great to hear, Nasheen, that you, you know, you really want to go out there and embrace that and 
be a role model for other women coming into the industry. Yeah, definitely. I'm proud of it. Uh, I'd like to pass this on to other people as well. For example, during this uh, I Make His event, it was called Train event, a young lady approached me and she was asking me if engineering is a good career for her. She's an incredible student. She's got straight A's. She has taken this gap year to understand if uh, engineering is something that she should do because she's a South Asian woman as well. So she doesn't see a lot of South Asian women doing engineering. So she was she was like 17 year old and she was confused about her decisions. And then I said, hey, why don't you come and work shadow me for a month? And so you then you can find out if that's a good career for you. So she came to work shadow. She saw me testing compressors. She saw me designing compressors. She saw me modeling compressors. And she was like, this is the career for me. Then she went on to Leeds University to do mechanical engineering. So, so I would like to pass this on to other people as well. Uh, like I, I would want to become a role model as well and change people's lives. I think you just done that, you know, you just <laughs> influenced that young women's life for forever, really. And it's hugely fulfilling. And and that, and she also got an IMECI scholarship to continue her second year of her undergraduation. So you can imagine, I mean, that's that's really fulfilling. Whenever I see her career achievements on LinkedIn, I'm like, I'm so proud. <laughs> I, I, I almost feel like a big sister and I feel like I feel so proud. And that's what it's all about, isn't it? Is championing others and helping them and giving them that guidance. Yeah. Actually, Karen, you're just about to um, embark on a amazing journey, aren't you? I am, yes. I had <laughs> encouragement <laughs> from Lisa Jane Cook to do it. Yeah, one of those things, again, that you put off and you decide you're too busy and why you can't do it and just really starting the first month now. So that's been really good and a great group of people as well sort of just attending some of the um, accountability meetings now but yeah I'm already at the stage where I'm like I'm gonna ask Lisa Jane how she did this yeah that'll be my my challenge and the opportunity as well I've always considered myself and always said I'm not an engineer but I think as someone said to me recently that to spend 23 years working in a manufacturer you know enough so yeah to be able to to talk to people about my story as well and my career and what I do just to encourage girls in all sorts of roles within our industry as well is just as important. What I like about Amazing is that you're capturing them really early so we're we're sort of priming them to pass them on to to Kat and Nasheen we we do the nice fun classroom stuff with the messy experiments and then we'll leave you know the the explaining the real science and the hard work behind it to you guys. Yeah. But what you're doing is so important because they will never get to us if they don't pass through you almost. <laughs> so you need to reach yeah, children at a young age when they are still forming their minds. Because what happens a lot uh, with teenagers is, is when boys and girls start to, to see the world a bit differently and the, the girls start saying, oh, that's, that's a boy's job. And... It's so critical that doesn't happen because it's so limiting because uh, then they all go and study, you know, history or, or languages or all these careers that actually there's a lot of people working on that. We need more engineers. We need more scientists. We need more programmers. So it's quite critical to reach people at the right age to, to really influence them. I think the problem is uh, how the society has been shaped as well. 
which is so hard to overcome. Like recently I was attending this talk at Imperial uh, for a book related to something called as Patriarch, how men came to power. So in there, there was this uh, slide where I saw like the Flintstones. I, I, I love Flintstones. I grew up watching a lot of Flintstones. And I realized how gendered the role were, roles were in Flintstones. So the man goes out, does something, and the Emma, who is the wife, and, and she does all the house-related work. So and I, and I grew up watching that. And it never occurred to me when I watched that this, this is so gendered. And now when I think about it, I was like, oh, wow. How do we overcome something that has been fed to the men, women, boys, girls from from their from their primary years? As I say, it, it is interesting, isn't it? Sorry, Kat, and it like it is cultural. It's it's not just about what they see on TV, but also the way you are as parents as well. So right down to the toys that you might give them or the, the activities that you encourage them to do. You know, it's quite normal for you to just send a, a boy out into the garden and let them dig around in the mud but perhaps you don't encourage your daughters to do the same. So it's all of those things. Yeah, it's true. Kids don't have the same toys and that's part of the problem. But, you know, it's just getting confidence to do something that you think is so difficult and then turns out it's not. I was thinking of raising that first time I've tried is like, oh, this is a lot easier than I thought it would be. You know, it's a big surprise. And the other day I was trying um, an electric chainsaw for the first time and I was like, oh, okay, that's not quite as scary. I mean, maybe the petrol ones are still scary, but, you know, I'll get there. <laughs> and it's just, you know, getting the experience of doing something that's out of your comfort zone. And it's, it's great. You feel amazing afterwards when you've done it. It's funny you mentioned brazing, actually. Um because I, I took a twilight shift at the factory um, that I was working at while I was doing my apprenticeship. And they actually had a twilight shift that was all women. And it was brilliant because we'd sit there from five till nine every evening in our little row and we'd just be chatting away and brazing the coils. And it, it was just, I guess it was the timing of the role because it fit for mums. You know, if you'd had to be at home all day with your children when your husband returned, they then had that opportunity to go to work but it was nice for me because I felt comfortable to actually try that because I was in the company of other women but yeah brazing is a lot of fun and I know the um the Daikin factory when we take clients over it's always mentioned about how many women are actually there in the the brazing section far outweighs the men and I think you mentioned it there Lisa Jane it's it's a lot everyone says it's a improved attention to detail but also it is a lot to do with the working conditions in Belgium. Um, but yeah, every time we go, people comment and, and kind of see how many women there. So it, that's my proud moment and always mention better attention to detail. Yeah. That, and I suppose, because we've got smaller hands and again, we can sort yeah. of really get in. And so, yeah. yeah, I think that it's, but then I think when you think about that, it probably lends us quite well to manufacturing. It's, you know, yeah. you don't have to lift anything these days because there's machinery for everything. So actually... But that's it. We just, I suppose, have an ingrained fear of, oh, that looks really difficult. And Kat, as you said, it's a lot easier. And why, why be scared of a chainsaw? I've realised that there's, there's not one single culture that women are not afraid of failing. Somehow it's been drained into women that they cannot fail. They have to be this perfect. Mm. That's a very good point. So important to learn with failure. I mean... It, it gives you confidence in a way because I remember when I was like when I started managing the engineering department at the beginning it was really scary but then there was a couple of things that went wrong and we fixed it 
and and just that gave me the confidence of like okay it doesn't matter if, if things fail we'll always get a way around to fix it and that gave such a you know a whole new level of confidence that you don't need to be worried about failure every single time you just when something happens you work on the solutions and that that's the way forward that's engineering isn't it and, yeah, exactly. and research is make mistakes yeah. yeah 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 and we we actually say there are no mistakes just lessons um, because yeah. that is essentially what engineering is isn't it you you mm. keep trying until you get it right but actually I was thinking about like your point machine and um I was thinking about how society sees women and I think that plays a big role um so you, you know you're afraid to fail so you don't try something and if we think about you know the, the media the attack on women she's too big or she's too thin or she wore this or she didn't wear that and it's it is because it doesn't matter what we do and I'm not talking about you know it's maybe not something we've experienced personally but you see it every day in the media that literally it you know it one day to another you can be right, wrong, or whatever you do is wrong. So it's. I think that plays a really big part on it. Yeah, and that's further been accelerated because of social media. I was reading through where the patriarchy, where everything comes from. It feels like women are a byproduct of what others think rather than what women think. So the media, the books, and everything, they have a communication of what women need to be rather than what women want to be. Yeah, I agree. And I think, again, it's really important that we are out there as role models. You know, all the time there are all these negative um, images and opinions and they, they really do influence people. So we have to get out there and break that. You know, we need to share the good news stories, the successes and actually shout about what we can achieve. There is there's a there's a wonderful woman called us Jess Wade. So she realized there is a huge imbalance between wikipedia articles on men and women so she makes sure that she writes i don't know one or two i don't know how many i don't remember the exact number but she makes sure that she writes an article about incredible women so i think that's something ior can do which would be amazing to feature the women out there on wikipedia pages that that would be amazing that's a really good idea for a project so i'll I'll write that down and we'll um maybe start with you (laughs) so we um as a bit of a theme on the podcast, we have a question that we like to ask about, have you ever had a, a WTF moment? So it could be, I don't know, you know, a way somebody's treated you on site, a question you've been asked, somewhere you've been and just seen something and thought, oh my God, how is that even a thing? Um, so Kat, have you got anything like that that you would like to share? There was one moment it shocked me, actually. So... I used to have lunch with the guys on the shop floor when I worked in the industry and everyone was always super friendly, super helpful. And I was always actually trying to get them to prioritize working on my prototypes rather than the production units. But in that particular lunch, they made the joke about rape and that just really shocked me. So they had become so used to me being around that they not even think about before speaking. And they were just retelling a joke from a, a comedian. And I was I was shocked that these types of jokes still exist, you know, in this day and age. And that's so unacceptable. And and language really matters. I mean, if you think about that influencer, Andrew Tate, that was arrested for human trafficking and rape. I mean, can you imagine the damage that he has done by influencing so many young men that 
are now more likely to disrespect women. But I think that was it. It was that joke that seems so small, but if you think how it affects society is actually quite big. That was my shock. And how, moment. in that moment, how were you kind of able to, to respond to that? Was it just a quietly I'll slope away? Were you able to call it out? It was so hard because I didn't call it out. And, that and you're the big. only woman there as well. So then it's kind of, oh, yeah. <laughs> it was hard on so many levels. Like I should, I was thinking, should I call it out? Most of them, they were maybe in their 60s. So a generation when that was more acceptable than it is now. But now thinking back, I should have said something because there were some younger guys there and they're going to have children. What if they're going to repeat that same jokes to their children? You know, it's about that. So maybe if I had said something at that point, maybe I had, I would have influenced someone that was in the room. I think we all have those hindsight moments though, don't we? Of kind of, we've all been here a long time and I wish I'd done that. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And the shame? I had this in one of my jobs where uh, there was this meeting in a meeting I was supposed to explain things and how this sort of thing works. So there were three or four uh, men in the meeting and one of the men receives like a phone call from his wife, I don't know, saying something. And he disconnects the call and he says, women are such, I think he meant to say women are such idiots or dumb, something he, he wanted to say. And next moment he asked me, how does this thing work? <laughs> I'm just a woman. <laughs> That's when you want to like pull a kitten out of your bag, isn't it? Yeah. I know nothing. But, I know about fluffy kittens. Women know your place. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's interesting actually, um, having worked in an office and it, it was mostly men like, you know and it still is mostly men mm-hmm. we get to listen to those conversations as well and and you see a completely different side to a person when you hear how they speak to their wives and mm-hmm. there's been many times in the past that I've been absolutely shocked by some of the things that my colleagues have said to their partners and it just it just again it goes to show mm-hmm. um, how ingrained it is mm-hmm. um, but it does make you wonder you know if they have daughters mm-hmm how do they treat them because when you speak to men a lot of them you know you love your children and and pretty much for everybody that's an unconditional thing and you want the very best for them but how you treat your daughters may well be different to how you treat your wife or your sisters or your colleagues it's quite mm. interesting like behavioral um patterns and things like yeah, it's, it's really really interesting um so the other thing we have is um, more of a like an embarrassment thing so has anything ever happened that you've just wished that the ground would swallow you up <laughs> in that moment um, do you want to start Nasheen? I couldn't think of anything exactly as such happened as embarrassment apart from the fact that I've been addressed uh, through emails when I work with various collaborators as Mr. You are, you are in academia so you, you, you must be surely. <laughs> what about you Kat? I was just thinking one, but it's it's embarrassing on so many levels because I didn't understand what I had said at the time, basically. (laughs) (laughs) So I was in a board meeting at the company and I was was trying to justify why I should go to this conference and I, oh, I can go and meet this person from Arslik. And then everyone started laughing and I was like, what? (laughs) And... um, 
because uh, they the brand they use in the UK is Pico, and obvi for obvious reasons. <laughs> but everyone was laughing, and I was like, "What?" Because for me, it was the obvious pronunciation. I didn't even <laughs> see what would be the meaning in English, and I was like, "Okay," I, and didn't realize. Then the following day, I was like at home, and then suddenly, like bold moment, <laughs> I started laughing on my own. No one told me. <laughs> when you start to try and translate it back and think, what's the problem? Oh, I love that, that they yeah changed the name for the UK. Yeah, the, yes. <laughs> because of our, yeah, our child, childish humour. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's probably yeah. one. Okay, or well, if you've got more, share them because, you know, I think maybe yeah. I'm just particularly clumsy or, you know, there's uh, loads of stories of me falling over and tripping up and... <laughs> whipping skirts and <laughs> yeah I'm so clumsy I mean once uh, I just I don't know I was distracted that day so basically I've <laughs> opened the, the the door to the test room and I've looked inside I don't know I was just checking if the compressor had come on or something in one of the fridges and then I just shut the door while my head was still <laughs> there <laughs> so basically I felt my brain rattle and I was like oh I hope no one saw that. <laughs> uh, those are the moments, though. And I always think, like, if, if you've got CCTV at work, you need to save those things for the Christmas bloopers. Well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, Karen, have you got any? Because, uh, like I say, I've got loads of stupid I just think, stories. Yeah, that's it. I gave up my uh, car one. You just made me think about, yeah, clothes splitting seems to be a common theory, doesn't it? <laughs> I know. I remember a very long time ago with... Um, I think I was new into a job and I was working with three male colleagues who thankfully I'd known for a very long time and I would class as friends and we just went out to get a sandwich at lunchtime and I drove in my very low car um, and as I sat down I split my trousers and was just kind of sat in the driver's seat with the three men in the car just going oh <laughs> could someone get my jacket <laughs> and I was able to tell them thankfully it had been a overnight stay so I had a spare pair of jeans but yeah loved having to ask one of them to get my jacket just so I could cover myself walking into the building but um yeah luckily it was people I'd probably class as friends more than anything that just saw the humor in it rather than any embarrassment whatsoever as I kind of walked in with my suit jacket tied around my waist <laughs> it doesn't just happen to us either um I used to keep a sewing kit in my jaw and the amount of guys that would go oh because I just but I need the needle and thread. It's like, why? And they're like, don't look at me. <laughs> yeah, no, that's it. I, I remember one now, there is still time. <laughs> In my first job, the first day of my job, and I meet my manager. My manager just saw me say hello, and he said that he's getting late for something. And he had this whole load of files that he placed on my desk. And he said, this was all the information. I can see you later, but you can go through them whenever you have time, etc." And as soon as he hands over that to me, I, I drop all of them down. <laughs> all, all the files, and there were some loose papers as well. All of them were on floor. <laughs> and it, it was my first job, first day, and first time getting from university into a working environment. And I was so nervous. <laughs> I thought he would sack me from the job. <laughs> I think that's a lot to do with it, isn't it? It's being kind of new into work and, and like me, I've worked with my company for so long I said the other day I've 
basically grown up there and probably made all my mistakes and and now I'm not boring but now now I'm classed as sensible <laughs> there's still many many mistakes to make but um yeah I think that's what's important it, and it characterizes you as well yeah I mean there was one time I was uh, doing an experiment so we had like uh, our test room we had it lined with foam so I could do the acoustic tests I'll let everyone leave the factory, ask them to switch everything off, all the vacuum pumps, so that I had silence to measure the noise of the refrigerator. But the first thing I had to do was to, to test how good the, the room was. And an easy way to do it is you blow a balloon and then with the pin, you, you break it and you measure the sound. Well, I couldn't blow the balloon. I have zero <laughs> lung capacity. <laughs> So I had to ask the receptionist, which was over 60, and a heavy smoker to blow the balloon for me. Better lung capacity, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> it was embarrassing. Have you managed to blow a balloon up since? <laughs> I think I have. But that time for the test, everyone was just looking at me. Come on. <laughs> That's really funny. Yeah. I do, yeah. It's one of those horrible tasks, though, isn't it, blowing up balloons? Because it does take it out of you. And the older you get, the less easy it is. I mean, on the other hand, I have a friend that once left my home and I had forgot to bring a pump to fill up the air mattress. She did blow up the whole air mattress. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't. Was the selection criteria for friendship based on our <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant we will um have to kind of stop there but thank you all of you that's really good laugh to end with as well and honestly truly well done I think with your your careers today and what you do it's great to talk to you um and listen to you and I hope to meet both of you at many more kind of network opportunities as well in the future please carry on doing what you're doing you are already mentors and role models and yeah let's look at those schoolgirls that are are looking and, and thinking I want to be like them one day thank you everyone for listening and thanks again Lisa Jane and uh, hope everyone found it interesting and inspiring please do download the rest of the series and keep an eye out for social media posts where you can listen again see what's next and share with your colleagues and even let us know what you want to hear more of you can get more involved with our LinkedIn group uh, IOR women in RACHP and also to help to spread the network Please also get in contact if you'd like to reach out about anything where we can support you as well. Thank you. Thanks, everyone.